Hello and welcome to Presenting, a podcast where we chat about various topics related to role-playing games, typically Paizo products such as Pathfinder and Starfinder, but also others. I'm John Godek, and with me today is Andrew Gills. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, working with me on the very long process to <laughs> finally get recording. Um, Months in the making. Yes, yes. It's, uh, you know, mostly that's kind of been my schedule and things coming up. So, I, you know, I'm at fault. So I appreciate you, uh, your patience. I think, I think the first time we were going to meet, I had to cancel and I felt terrible. And then the next couple of times it was you had yeah stuff happen. I was like, oh, I feel a little less bad now. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I was I was trying to after you contacted me again, I was trying to fit it in all these different spots, and it's like ah, you know. But now we got it, we yeah. got it, we got it. All right, uh, Andrew is a tabletop RPG freelance writer and game designer. He has publication credits for Pathfinder First Edition, Pathfinder Second Edition, and Starfinder, including the recently released Treasure Vault and the recently announced. Rage of Elements. I'm really excited, actually, for Rage of Elements. I think it's going to be really cool. So, uh, Andrew, can you talk a little, a little bit about your journey to becoming a freelance writer and game designer? So, my first bit of freelancing was in first edition Pathfinder. I wrote some back matter for the last book of Rise of the Rune Lords. I wrote a monster. And I got that job because... I, uh, I kind of started uh, with the cart before the horse. I actually applied to work at Paizo oh. as a developer. Yeah, wow. And I got an interview, and I got the little test that you have to take yeah. of like showing that you're competent. And did the interview, and I got all the way to the very end, and I didn't get the job. And they said, we weren't requiring experience before, but when it came down to you and the other candidates... We had to take that into account, and you had no writing experience. Right. So what they did was they put me in contact with a couple of developers there. This is back when Ron Lundin was still at Paizo, mm -hmm. and I got in contact with him. He gave me the assignment, and I've just kind of picked more up as time has gone by. Nice. So that's how I started originally, was trying to bypass freelancing altogether and just go straight into writing, yeah. and I had to kind of walk my way back up that way you know that's amazing that you you know were able to get through the process that far what do you do outside of this that enabled you to do so well in the developer test and all that uh so i mean you know in high school and college i'm a gamer so i just do all sorts of gaming stuff yeah. uh my first job out of college i worked a night shift and it was largely just a kind of like front desk sort of greeting people sort of thing. And lots of time to just do whatever if it could keep me awake. So I did a lot of reading and, you know, trolling forums and Reddit and everything like that. So I have lots of ideas that I wrote at my desk where mm -hmm. it's like I have three hours where I don't see a living soul. So I just. I basically wrote emails to myself back and forth. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah. I don't I don't actually know if Google Docs was even a thing at that point, but it was very early on if it was. Yeah. And then I just kept those ideas rolling until I had them fleshed out enough to post them on mostly two places. I I frequented Giant in the Playground, 
which is the Order of the Stick website, if mm -hmm. you're familiar with that webcomic, mm -hmm. and the Pathfinder subreddit. Mm -hmm. So I got my ideas out there, I got feedback, and I talked to people there. And then I had home games when I forced my ideas upon my friends and had them try mm -hmm. them out. Mm -hmm. No, that, no that's, that's, it's interesting because I've talked to folks that have gone through kind of that developer process and everything like that. And as they said, most of them have, right, you know, have, have written for them before and to come in and not have thought about that part of it, you know, all the four, all the stuff that they teach you, right. When you have to do all the formatting, all the rules and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah that's no, that's, that's actually pretty impressive. So. Yeah. Apparently not quite enough, but. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we actually met, um, First online and then in person. I don't even know if you remember the on oh, yeah, person part. Okay. When did we meet in person then? Well, so first <laughs> you emailed someone higher up in the organized play organization. I remember that. Yeah. And they said, uh, that's a great question. Ask this guy. And they sent you to me. Yeah. Because my official title is venture lieutenant of the Bothell area. Yeah. Even though at the time I was living in West Seattle, which is an hour drive away. Right, 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 uh, right. But my parents live up here, so I do get up here a lot. And so I said, well, there's this, this place. And I think I, I talked to you about Zulus. Right. It was Zulus. I was trying to get into a game there. I was looking to see if there's yeah. any org play there. Um, and so I brought that up and it was like, oh, yeah, that's the place I was talking about. And so we yeah, kind of, yeah. we had a little yeah. back and forth and then. It yeah. seemed to just either work out or I didn't hear back any other questions. So I was like, okay, right. I guess that's good. I'll check yeah. in on it eventually. And then before I even had a chance to do that, uh, I ran into you. We were just in a random group of folks chatting about stuff at PaizoCon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mentioned, I think somebody was talking about they were a venture lieutenant somewhere else. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm the venture lieutenant in Bothell. And he said, oh, you're the guy. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It turns out we had talked about yeah. each other. And and also from that point, um, I was working with uh Sean Cunningham yeah. down in Redmond. And so I got invited to the VL whatever, the VL luncheon that was across the street mm. that everybody went to. And so um and we chatted more there. I don't know if you remember that or not. So well that's good. It's funny that you remember that much because that, yep. that was like pre pandemic. That's like a hundred years ago. Oh my god, that was twenty seventeen? 18, yes, like I think 17 or 18, Sheesh. one of those two, a couple years ago. Uh, 10 years so, ago. But I was trying to get into organized play, and so you were, uh, you know, the VL there. Uh, can you talk some about your experience with org play and how that involvement has helped you at all, if it has, with your freelance work? Uh, I, I kind of like to think of my organized play career as like my long con. Okay. I... I wanted to play because I want to play and I'm a forever GM like a lot of us are. Yeah. I, I never get to play. And I was like, oh, organized play where people have to run for me. This is great. And I lived uh, in the uh, around Aurora where there used to be a store called Green Lake Games within walking distance, busing distance. So me and my roommates would go down there every Saturday. And that was back when... I don't know if you ever met Jester. He's a bigger guy with a ponytail. Like, if you picture me, but maybe like 15 years older, uh, it was Jester. And he ran Green Lake, but then he ended up moving, I think, to DC. So he put this other person in charge, and that person never showed up again. Was that, so, was that, was Jonathan his name? 
No. Um, okay. I can't actually recall what his real name is. Yeah, because we, I we think only we had him. him. I think he came over and played with us a couple times over in Redmond, and then he left to go. I remember somebody went to DC. When you mentioned I know the Pony he went Town to, uh, yeah, he he came to Mox every once in a while. My, yeah. One of my roommates yep. actually was the coordinator for Mox yep. for a long time. So our apartment was like two thirds of the week for Pathfinder Society in the area. Uh, but I, I just kind of went there every week anyway. Nobody was doing anything, so I ended up organizing it. And then when Jester came back for PAX that year, he was saying, whatever happened to that guy? And it's like, I have no idea. <laughs> so he said, oh, so who's running it? Well, nobody, but I'm kind of just doing everything. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you can just, do you want to do that? I was like, sure. So I took that over and I kind of like half ran. I was always the on-call GM for mocks uh and there's a phoenix comic book store yep it's still running still doing yep. stuff yeah and uh i was on call for that for a while uh but that was again with an organizer who has left town and i don't know who's running it anymore because that's not my area but he would always say it's like hey i have nobody can you get here and i was like the bus will get me here in 45 minutes <laughs> so i was that person too uh but i, I kind of kept doing more and more trying to just meet people because I wanted to get into writing and Pathfinder and just tabletop right. stuff. Right. I was like, I, I had an exaggerated view of how important organized play meetups were. So I thought that th this is an in and eventually it was, but it wasn't like, Oh, I'll meet somebody who can help me get there. It was like, no, two years down the line, maybe you'll meet someone who will then tell you about someone who will then introduce you to someone. Yeah. But eventually it, it did. Like I, I became friends with uh, Tonya, who is the yep. organizer of all of organized play. And I met her at the PaizoCon where she was kind of introduced after Mike Brock left. Mm -hmm. And I actually got to go over to uh, play some games at her home, which was fantastic. And you know, just the networking opportunity, as weird as it is to say, organized play with friends became a networking thing. That's mm -hmm. kind of what it was. So being a GM three times a week, and then a player maybe once every other week, and then running specials and helping at packs and all this other stuff, led to me meeting people just very slowly. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it, in a way, it did get that door opening for me but uh even though i say it's my long con it very quickly became like that's not going to be anything but i would want to play so i'm going to keep playing and then it wound up kind of being a long con mm -hmm. well cool yeah I was, i'm always curious like i remember when i interviewed um like john compton for example you yeah. know he he got his whole start through org play you know and uh, a couple other folks like that. So I'm always curious that, you know, people have been involved in org play for a while to see how that kind of kind of fit in. I, I myself, I organized a lot. I jammed a lot, but I intentionally stayed away from the org play part because uh, I didn't want to have to do a lot of upper level organizing and stuff. Yeah, it, it gets to be a lot of reading and paperwork and everything like that. And that's not what you think of like, oh, I'm going to go play a game. Right. Uh, Exactly. But, I, I just wanted to run and play. That, that yeah. was it. So, yeah. Yeah. so 
Now, your freelance work has spanned both uh, both editions of Pathfinder as well as Starfinder. Um, what challenges have you experienced switching between the systems, and what benefits have you seen in your game design work because of experience in all these you know multiple systems? So, my first, I think I only have the one credit in Pathfinder First Edition because right. Rise of the Rune Lords was the second to last AP, and it was in the last book of that, and I think. Second edition was actually announced just before I got the freelance project. But he said, don't worry, it's actually, it's still first edition. <laughs> yeah. And that project, uh, I, I worked for, like, I wanted to make a good impression. So I spent months just, like, honed in. And you, you always have a, a good amount of time. Paz always has mm -hmm. a good amount of um, air that you can play with. But I was constantly... <laughs> working on this and like asking my friends like hey uh i have a monster idea i want to run by you and i can't talk about it <laughs> so i wanted to play test it and stuff like that and i thought I i'm still very proud of it um the, the monster in question was the ashen forge master which was a mm. undead salamander that is tied to a forge kind of like how a dryad is to a tree Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. a, a lich to its uh, soul cage. Mm -hmm. And I was really excited about it, and then I kept talking with Ron Dean, and I got another project, but it was in second edition, and it was in the back of the last book of another AP. And it was fewer words and two monsters, both higher level than the one that I had pitched him before. Mm -hmm. It's like, how? That's each, right? It's 500 words each? No, that's for the whole thing. Wow. Like, how how can yeah. you fit that? And he said, no, don't worry about it. The, the rules for making these, it's so much easier. It's so much simpler. Yeah. I was like, but I don't know how. I have 10 years of doing this other stuff. Yeah. So it was a lot more of a, of a daunting task because I had to, I was still learning second edition. I didn't know all the ins and outs. And right. like, I had to work with an action economy. I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I, had, I had to work with the scaling proficiencies and all this other mm -hmm. stuff. Hey. So I wound up getting those two, and I was happy with them, but it was very demoralizing. They had to cut them both for space, and they actually combined the two into a single encounter in the book, in the final project. Mm -hmm. But neither of my actual things showed up, so I was like, oh, God, they hated it. And it took me forever to get over that. And other freelancers telling me, no, that's not it. Stuff gets cut all the time. It's just, you know, the APs are this thick. And they don't have room for you. Yeah. Like, but I, it was my first thing. Uh, so that, that taught me one of my most important lessons of don't stress it if your stuff doesn't get taken in. Mm -hmm. uh, and since then, a lot of my work has been uh, in the rule books. So I have Guns and Gears, Treasure Vault, and... Rage Relevance. No idea what if my Rage Relevance stuff is going to be cut, but yeah. uh, in Treasure Vault, for example, I did three sections, and I did the Magical Shields, the specific mm -hmm. name shields, mm -hmm. and most of them got in. All of the ones in the book are mine, uh, with some tweaks here and there. Some of them are just whole cloth, but some of them got cut, and it's like, oh, that's a shame. All of the bombs, the alchemical bombs, all of those are mine. All of them are relatively the same with a couple examples, uh, notable exceptions, like the skunk bomb, mm -hmm. which 
is ludicrous and amazing and wonderful, a bit different than what I wrote. I wrote it to be a much higher level option. And they said, right. no, this is going to be really funny at first level. Right. <laughs> yes. And then uh, the last one was the elixirs. And the elixir section has a lot of reprints, like half of the options in there from previous books, which meant that they had to cut all of that space was what would have been stuff that I had written, but they had to cut it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was really bummed out about that, but I had already had, it's like, okay, it's, they had to bring this other stuff back. They had to make it like this thing's from an AP. Nobody knows about it. They want to put it into a real book, like a hardcover book with all the official rules. They wanted that. I was like, okay. And so that was a really tough lesson to learn as a writer was your stuff isn't going to last all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, that really hurts sometimes because you're really proud of this one thing. And that one thing just doesn't get to keep all the time. Um, and, and man, second edition, as someone who is as rules crunchy as possible like I am, second edition really gives you a lot of free reign for how you design things. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Because <laughs> you, you have the argument of people saying, oh, you you, uh, you like that game with all the rules on it. There's no creativity. It's like, no, the whole thing is that you have to work within the rules to make it work. Gosh, that's hard. And second edition is just this whole other animal. Uh, and then when it comes to Starfinder, so far I have two monsters and a set of items that are all in the Drift Hackers mm-hmm. AP. So I have stuff in each of the three books. The monsters in Starfinder are a breath of fresh air for me <laughs> because everything is so laid out and mathematical in there. And it's like I can just plug in everything I need. And mm-hmm. it's so much easier. Uh, so I, on the one hand, it's so nice for me to be able to just say all of the math and all of the numbers and all of the fiddly bits are done for me. I just have to put the actual monster together. On the other hand, I can't do nearly as cool stuff because <laughs> I have to be constrained within it. So it's, 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 a, it's opened my eyes to go to second edition compared to first edition and Starfinder where I have a very like strict rubric of how to make things. Uh, and then I didn't get the items for Starfinder project until well after I had done Guns and Gears, which was all items. So I'm looking back and saying, okay, I have experience in this. I can do this. I have to, It was uh, Jason Tondro. I was like, hey, I worked on Guns and Gears. I did the artillery section of it. So if I can have this section of guns and stuff you need in Starfinder, that's amazing. I can do it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's nothing like that at all. Yeah, uh, but about halfway through, I had I had to scrap the entire project because I got a new idea that I was so excited about, and I had to put it in, and it came out. Uh, and I I looked through the AP just to see how much it gets used, and it's in there's one encounter where everybody gets to pick up some, and I made it's in the second book, which is the Clockwork Demons, which has a whole bunch of clockwork stuff, and I thought to myself. There's no analog clock that I can remember in any Star Wars or Star Trek or anything like that. So how am I going to make that work? And so I figured out a way to make digital clockwork for the Starfinder setting because it was like, I have to have clock. I love clockwork. I love steampunk. I love all of that. The gears and grind. All of that's great. But we're in space. 
how does that work? And so I, I had to, I had the idea of doing the digital clockwork way and rewrote everything. And it was, that, that was another thing of like, man, sometimes you just, you have something almost done and then you realize that it all has to go away. <laughs> and boy, is that hard to say, like, this was weeks of my life that I just had to hit the delete key on. But then you do and everything comes back out and it works out fine. It's hard, but it works. Cool. So what advice do you have for people interested in becoming freelance game designers and authors like yourself? Uh, first off, don't try to just become a designer or developer before writing. Um, I got, <laughs> okay. I got very close, but that was definitely an anomaly and I got close. I didn't get it. Uh, and it definitely would have been an overwhelming experience now that I see all the bits that you have to go through. I, mm -hmm. I had never freelanced before. I had no idea about the contact back and forth. And even just with the one writer, when I only worked with Ron, that was eye-opening just on the process. But, that, but since then, I've worked with Louise and Logan and Michael and like all these other people, and they all have their own styles. And it really shows it's not just this pipeline. You have a lot of personal interaction with them to varying degrees. Some of them like it more structured, and you have this... Uh, process with them and others are much more dialogue based and we'll talk to you about the ideas and it really showed me how much I had no idea about which is important so having that experience on the baseline before you start trying to move up is very important and then uh, I want to reiterate uh, when you had a had the same talk with Than a bit ago well not okay. Than, sorry um, his big thing was try to play a whole bunch of different games because if you just play, if you say my D20 experience is D&D &D and or Pathfinder and that's not good, uh, that is absolutely true. I, I want to expand that to don't just play D20 systems mm -hmm. because my understanding of what you can do within the tabletop space really just exploded when I was introduced to two different systems, uh, one of which was Iron Kingdoms, which is a D6 system, and it's either 2, 3, or 4 D6. You never have more dice than that. It's either you roll two dice for the regular checks, you might get an additional die for something, and you might get a fourth die for special circumstances, and that's it. But the amount of stuff you can actually do with that was so huge that I just fell in love with the system. And unfortunately, the system kind of died. And... It's getting revitalized in 5th edition as a D20 system, which takes away all of the specialness that I loved about it, unfortunately, because I loved the dice system and how it worked. Uh, the other one is Savage Worlds, mm -hmm. which now has a Pathfinder supplement and everything like that that Paizo has put out. But I played the Strange West or some sort of setting like mm -hmm. that. I don't remember what it I, I was a fill-in for a friend who needed an extra player. I was like, yeah, sure, I don't have anything that Sunday. And the the sort of ambiguousness, is that the right word for it? The, the, the amount of play that you get just in the construction of stuff. Like me and this other guy actually ended up having very similar characters, 
but the way we express it in the game was so different that nobody would have thought that on paper almost one to one we were the same thing but the character not just like the flavor of like oh my backstory is this his is that but how our mechanics were expressed in the game were completely different mm-hmm. and that's something that a lot of systems just don't do and for better or worse, I mean, having that guideline is very important. But being able to see the the creativity within the rules, which gets back to the like, the more rules you have, the less creative you can. No, no, you can be very creative within the rules. Uh, going back to core, going back to Starfinder or Pathfinder organized play, did you ever do the core system of PFS? I did not know. Uh, partway through, I think like year six or seven or something like that of Pathfinder, they said, you know, people are saying that they need more options to play or the ability to replay stuff more. And we just can't write that much out of nowhere. So what they did was they allowed you to go back through an entirely separate campaign called Pathfinder Society Core, where the only rules you had available to you were the core rulebook. Oh, okay. And that was it. The monsters could be anything. Like, you could fight witches and uh, magi and all sorts of different stuff from other books, but you could only use a core book. And that was so exciting for me <laughs> to make really cool and powerful and interesting characters with just this little bit of rules that I'm used to so much more. Mm-hmm. And that that's a very important thing of figuring out how to make the most of the confines that you have in any one given system. Uh, The other big thing I would say, in addition to play more than just one or two types of games, don't be afraid to explore bad games. And I say that because uh, I played a game that I didn't know at the time, but I found out very quickly is widely regarded as the worst tabletop role-playing game (laughs) ever except for one that is explicitly like misogynist and just terrible right as far as just like generic fantasy rpgs this one's the worst and i didn't know that going into it and i saw like oh this has i mean it's kind of cool it has these other things but man this this part's really weird this part's sloppy and i would never do that and there are lessons i learned from playing this awful game that I brought into my writing of, like, I would never do that, so I never will, and I'll make sure to never have that mistake in my thing. Right. And it, it's the uh, the negative reinforcement of seeing the bad stuff to avoid is just as important as seeing the good stuff to keep doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that was a very painful but very enlightening experience that I had. <laughs> what What game was that? Uh, the, I remember the full title. It was something, something Cinnabar spelled S Y N N I B A R A B A R something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was the second edition. And I actually, I actually was playing with the creator of the game and I didn't know that either. And he was hyping it up as this cool exploratory thing. I was like, Oh, that sounds so cool. And I was looking through all these options like, man, this is neat. And then I read it, and it's like, 
this is just it, it was it was just messy in all these different ways and part of that was it was a two-man project doing an entire system like this, this isn't just like a little subsect this was right. like trying to build D D or pathfinder with just you and one other guy it's like there there's no way you're, you you it, right. it's not just the amount of work it's it's the back and forth and the and the outside influence and people saying it's like you know what that's a dumb idea sometimes you got to hear that and mm-hmm. and like i said some of your stuff needs to get cut not necessarily because it's bad but because it's not the best thing for the game right. and when it's just you and one other person you don't have that happen you put in all the crap and you need someone to be able to look at you and say that's crap and you need to be able to recognize that so what's next for Andrew? Uh, what kind of cool stuff are you working on that you can talk about? Yeah, the, the, that last part of what I can talk about is... Yeah, well, I got to put that <laughs> in, you know. <laughs> um, so I'm excited for Rage Developments coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on two different sections in there. But you don't, you can't really talk about the sections yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. so, so uh, I will. I, I will say... The stuff I wrote there is almost all player stuff right. rather than, you know, like uh, in the last few books, the hardcovers, they have like the, the narrator of the story and you have a lot of lore and sort of world building and story and just narrative. Um, I didn't touch any of that stuff. All the stuff I got was very rule and character based, which was mm-hmm. fine for me. I like that stuff. I like story building and uh, the expression of how something mechanically works in the narrative. But for this book, all of my stuff is just crunch. So I have a lot of player options in there that I got to work on. Nice. Uh, uh, just finished a project that hasn't even been announced, so I can't talk about that at all, but I'm very excited about that. And eventually, maybe it'll say, hey, that's the thing he was talking about. Uh, and other than that, uh, a lot of the stuff I'm doing now, I'm trying to get some more Pathfinder Infinite stuff out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a... Similar to us never quite being able to get this going, um, I was invited into the Pathfinder Infinite Masters program. And I said, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And I joined in. And there's something got lost in the communication, and the person I was in communication with left the company, and nothing ever happened. So I didn't actually get added until like last month, even though I had supposedly been in there for seven so i'm trying to get back to actually put out some stuff as an infinite master now that i actually am one and so i'm trying to get uh i want to get something out by the end of this month but i just don't know if i have the time for it so Mm -hmm. more pathfinder infinite stuff uh so far i have uh i put out my own version of the kineticist before word of rage of elements even happened yeah. Which uh, got me very excited and very sad because yeah. it's like, oh, I just put this out. Oh, I just put that out, and now it's going to be all gone. Um, but I, that's where I started, and mm-hmm. kind of really got into that's that's where I learned all the formatting and everything like that, and how to actually design like, class stuff. And since then, I put out a guide on uh, bard options because bard is my absolute favorite class ever. I put out a new cleric doctrine called the Itinerant, which is kind of a slurry of the Inquisitor 
and the first edition war priest with the blessings and everything like that and the variant channeling class options and there's all sorts of little things in there to make a sort of versatile skill for i made it a bard <laughs> i made it a, a, a jack of trades cleric yeah. <laughs> yeah. um and I'm really happy with that because that that took so long to balance. Uh, it has rule options for every single domain in the core rulebook and Gods and Magic. Wow. And additional rules built therein if you're an itinerant. So you don't have to be the you don't have to use my new thing if you don't like it. But there's still rules for every domain, and then there's extra stuff for the itinerant. And that took a long time. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to do something quite that big this time because that takes months of mm-hmm. balancing and playtesting and everything like that. I want it, I'm trying to get myself to just do smaller things, but I keep getting all these other ideas. And then I have that I have that lesson of have someone there that will tell you your ideas are crap. So mm-hmm. I run all this by my friends and I have to listen to them and say, like, you know what, this doesn't make any sense. And I have to figure out how I can make sense. And it all just takes so much time and trying to convince myself not to be so, uh, to have such wide ideas about that. Mm-hmm. But hopefully I'll be able to get more Pathfinder Infinite stuff out and link that into smaller groups into existing products better. So that's, nice. that's the main thing I'm working on at the moment other than NDA stuff I can't talk about. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Andrew, it's, it's great uh, connecting with you again and finally getting able, able to, to to do this interview. So Months in the making. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Of course. Thank you for having me.